Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode, welcome to Healing the Spirit. I'm so excited that you're here and I will be sharing a conversation with my dear friend as well as someone that I call my teachers and at a sex. As you may know if you've been listening to this podcast for the past couple months, I have, as it turns out, been uh, sharing pretty regularly my contemplation uh, for the week ahead for the energies that I'm sensing as well as the astrology of the week. But this week, I've decided to do something a little different. Um, And there are a few reasons for that. The first one being, um, this is the last week of 2022. And actually, I got really sick last week. So I'm still recovering. You can probably hear it a little bit in my voice. I was down with a pretty nasty cold. And if you've been living in the same world as I have, I've been living a pretty uh, isolated existence so far. So I haven't been sick really for the past couple of years. And um, this particular cold really kind of knocked me out. Um, I My voice was really affected um, my ability to complete basic executive tasks were really um, impacted. So if you haven't heard back from me, if you emailed me or something like that, um, you know why that is. And um, I'm definitely coming out of it. But something that I uh, received as a pretty clear message um, when I was sick was that um, this coming week... I would really suggest all of you to listen to what is coming up for you. We are moving through a liminal portal where we are closing one chapter and we are beginning another chapter, right? Regardless of whether January 1st is your own personal new year or whether it's not, the reality is that so much in the collective, so many people in the collective subscribe to uh, January 1st being uh, the start of the year. And so the energy of it is visceral and it's palpable and it's kind of unstoppable, I would say. Like it's really um, a a felt sense uh, and it's really a felt shift. And so um, what can happen during liminal times when maybe our grounding is not as clear or as stable as usual and there's a lot of collective energy wanting to move forward or uh, being spent kind of in the past is it's really easy for us to be taken out of the present moment and so rather than me sharing more of my own perceptual filter around you know what this coming week is about my invitation is for you to really just kind of slow down and really listen to whatever it is that's coming up. And this may be coming up from within you, from your environment, from uh, the spiritual dimension, 
or it may really show up in your relationships too. And so rather than me adding more of a perceptual filter, which ultimately will be kind of, uh, in a sense, I think narrowing your perspective on uh, this week and um, what should or should not be coming up for you, I feel that it's much more potent for me to be sharing this conversation instead. And the reason for that is because this conversation is really centered around the idea of listening. And Zanetta is someone who I um, am so grateful for to have in my life as a friend, as a mentor, as a teacher, as someone that I trust deeply. And Zanetta has spent um, a lot of time contemplating the idea of listening. What is listening? What does it mean to dedicate one's life to the practice of truly listening? And what true listening requires and what it implies. And so I feel um, like this conversation is so apropos to the moment and is so powerful to be sharing at this time when I feel strongly that we are guided to really listen to the moment. And um, also, on a very personal level, when I was down with the cold, it felt like revisiting this conversation was the the medicine that I really needed. So, um, and and we recorded this conversation a while back in in Air, during the Aries full moon, uh, I believe, sometime in October, and and so yeah, it just feels like um, this is exactly what should be shared with all of you as uh, Healing the Spirit's last episode of the year. As you know, I started this podcast um, this past year. So um, yeah, it feels very meaningful that this conversation is the last one to be sharing with all of you this year. Um, and if you've been tuning in to this podcast, I'm so, so, so grateful for your listenership. And I hope that you have um, received something from uh, being in community with this podcast. All right, so let me share um, a little bit about Zanetta by way of their bio. Zanetta They Them is a queer, multi-Brooklyn-based sound ritualist, listening educator, nature recordist, creativity activist, tarot reader, and podcast host. At the core of their work is a deep desire to remember how to live in interconnectedness, whether that is through meditation and connecting with the self, or in community rituals to connect to the land, Zanetta weaves sound and ritual to create experiences that transform the way participants hear and connect to the world. In the spirit of an interconnected world, Zanetta focuses on supporting folks to make their art and express themselves fully, knowing that interconnection and interdependence are rooted in our individual wholeness and that our authentic creative expression is at the heart of that wholeness. It's towards this collective vision that Zanetta offers channel tarot readings for creative liberation and offers readings to support artists in navigating their careers and projects. 
All right, I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. And here is my conversation with Zanetta Sykes. Welcome to the podcast, Zanetta. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm beside myself that this dream is a reality. <laughs> uh, I have been just so excited for this conversation. You and I met in person, um, not for the first time. This is, I don't know, we, we've met in person many times, but we saw each other a couple of weeks ago and it finally felt like the right time to be having this conversation. So... I'm just so excited to honor your work, to to share your voice with people in my audience. I feel like a lot of people in my audience do know you already, but in case anyone is lurking there in the background and is like, who is Aneta? I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a hope and dream that I hope for the, uh, the Art Witch community as well, to get to know you, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like our relationship is so special to me. And we connected in a time and in a place in mm. my own journey that was just like, it was very healing and very mm. affirming to meet someone who I felt like we could just resonate so deeply on so many things. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> I I similarly felt that way. It's so interesting because... I feel like any time we connect in a reading space or in a ritual space, there's always such a deep resonance. Like it's it's like it's like not just us, you know. But our ancestors have known each other for a very long time. And yeah, it feels yeah, it feels like a confluence of so much. It, it's just beyond words. Yeah, that would explain, like, the fact that, like, I, I don't know, as soon as I think, like, you maybe wrote, like, the first thing on, like, a post or something, or, like, we, we wrote something to each other. I don't remember when, mm. but, like, it was, like, oh, my gosh, wow, this person's really on this wavelength, and that's really special, like, that that just, like, when you feel the buzz of that, and, and you're, like, excited to talk to this person, and they're excited to talk to you, and it's, like, whoa, you know, I guess that's friendship. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's like so simple. Like, Zanetta, duh, it's friendship. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm so grateful for you. I feel like you have, you know, I've, I've received many readings from you. I have been in a few rituals with you. You've taught me so much in the past, I don't know, few years that we've known each other. So... Yeah, let's get into it. I I always love beginning my conversation with presencing the the current moment. And I'm curious what's coming up for you if I ask you this question of who you feel, sense, or know yourself to be in this present moment. Hmm. I know myself to be a liberated creative loving person i really love to love and i really um 
feel that everything that comes into like making stuff and a large part I make a lot of art, everything is about on some level sharing love and um, that flow between beings and remembering love on some level. So at this time and place, you know, I'm very much exploring sound and listening as uh, an act of tending relationships and tending them with love and care and how we receive the energy of love through listening and through sound. Um, and I think that that's translating across every single discipline that I dabble in. Mm. And dabble is a weak word, I think, for for how I, I do actually enjoy working in those modalities. But, mm. um, but I do not relegate myself to any one discipline. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy that about who I am at this time. When I tune into our collective field, and I don't know if you perceive yourself in this way, but something that was coming up for me was how um, how rapidly and massively like your evolution is in general. Mm. Like in your work as someone who has interacted with your work, but also witnessed your work. And it was really interesting for me because I'm like, do I talk to the Zanetta that I first, like when we first got started, you know, or like, do I talk to you now? And it's it's very interesting because I feel like there were some really discrete versions. So I was also like, I wanted to be mindful of like bringing the through line, but also honoring the fact that it's like, ever evolving and it seems like that's just the way it is for you i don't know mm. if you experienced it that way yeah you know it reminds me of sometimes going back in like my instagram feed and like being like oh i that was definitely my whatever phase yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just noticing that there are like these really clear shifts of thought and mm -hmm. like approach mm -hmm. um but also all that is kind of held within me still mm -hmm. or is part of kind of the, I want to say like living in a body in this life is like you're a process that has many, many facets. You could, yeah. you could process in one way, you could be this way, you could do things in this way. You know, like the idea of multidimensionality gets really bandied about a lot. Mm. But there's something about like us being a verb, like, and not an object, wow. not in stasis, that I think is so important to this mm. question of like, what's the through line and, you know, stuff like that. I love that. I love that. I resonate so much with this idea that we can be reverent and we can dedicate ourselves, devote ourselves to learning modalities, but that it's always representing something greater. They're really always portals. Yeah, and that's that's how I experience your work. Mm. Yeah, I I think that I didn't I haven't always had the words to describe 
what it is that I'm reaching towards, mm. um, which has been frustrating at times because in order to, say, get funding for work or to, you know, present your work on in marketing or things like that or to just in any way, shape, or form amplify the signal of what it is that you're transmitting. Mm. The the words help present and kind of help people understand what it is that they're getting into. Mm. Um, and that's always been a little bit of a challenge for me is to be cognizant that I'm, you know, I'm a manifesting generator. <laughs> I'm going to bring it in early on. <laughs> you all can make of this what you want on this Aries full moon. Okay. <laughs> but, but I'm a manifesting generator and uh, the process of evolution is simultaneous with the process of like um, being visible and being um, open and sharing your work. Mm. And it's, tough to find names sometimes for things that you don't know if they exist and you don't know what you're reaching for and you're um you're struggling with the ephemeral a little bit not because the ephemeral is something to struggle with but because the ephemeral does not have a lot of place in our society in the modern westernized society mm -hmm. and that's that's a tricky thing to to kind of make visible <laughs> in mm -hmm. a sense yeah i was listening to this podcast conversation you had with i believe mary grace right from the homebody podcast yeah is that their name mary yeah mary grace aldris yeah and and mary you and mary were talking about um the difference between sound and words and how I'm para paraphrasing here, but you said something about sound not being easily narrowed to a specific point and that it also doesn't need a specific point to be meaningful. And you were linking that to your connection with source and with your guides and it feels pertinent to bring to this point in the conversation about mm. how... That there is, I think, something about you working with sound that that defies words, right? Sound as the thing that represents the thing that cannot be encapsulated by words, essentially. And also naming that words are sounds too. Yeah, this words is so have good. Sounds. This is so so powerful for me in this moment. Um. There's a really interesting quote, and I wish I could remember who said it, but it's something along the lines of that, like, music bypasses the mind and, like, directly impacts the heart, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, like, you don't need to think about something to understand it. <laughs> and... Um, you know, as someone who's like working with sound, but also working with like guided words like meditation and guided journey and, you know, really talking about um, the ephemeral and talking about energy and even writing about energy like on, you know, various platforms and stuff like that. Um, 
you're right. There is this power in words. There is this power in sounds. And, and I don't ever want to exclude that because I think that's, that's a really, really vital source of, of our power and our, our ability to relate and communicate. So like, that's so important, but I always want to take this back like to pre-written history that like our earliest our earliest um emanations were sounds that did not have necessarily like associated defined meaning to them as mm. words are and that were like a, a communal agreement of mm -hmm. sorts we were you know, you can hear this even if you listen to music around the world, all sorts of cultures and traditions have music that is based off of locale. The music is entirely informed off of the emanations of the natural world. And so like our vocalizations have evolved as well through that process. Mm. And yet some of the most oldest and potent forms of that magic are truly just when we sing or when we play an instrument, when we clap, when we drum, when our bodies move through space and make sounds. Mm. Like those are potent forms of magic that I think are often a little lost and a little forgotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, so powerful. I it, it took me to a few different places. The first one being how interesting that both of us have this conservatory background and that we were, air quotes, trained musicians. And thinking about what does that even mean to train yourself in music when music is life? When yeah. music is made up of sound, that's made up of energy that makes up the whole universe, you know? Yeah, it's such a powerful thread of exploration, um, especially since so much of that comes with a lot of limiting and very um, hierarchical beliefs and expectations and standards. Mm -hmm. um, I was just thinking even earlier today about like what we call traditional. Um, and I was thinking about this in terms of magic, mm. but it could also apply to music or any art form probably. But, you know, someone will say, oh, that's like a traditional form of X, Y, and Z. And you think, well, where in the timeline do you decide that like this is the beginning of this tradition or this is a tradition or this is a thing that is like not in constant communication with its environment time space spirit like when do you decide that something is not a constant changing and evolving process but mm. like has to be a fixed idea of what traditional is mm. And that I think in the conservatory training that we've both received, and I can't obviously speak for you, but I can speak to having interacted and talked to a lot of people who have been through conservatory, that there are these beliefs that become ingrained as a fact or a truth. Mm -hmm. And that 
feels like not of the spirit of this magic of sound. Yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with that. Something that was coming up for me in my field as you were speaking was even this idea of a polished performance. That there is even such a thing as being able to polish a performance. I mean, it's when you really sit down and feel into it, like the hubris is... <laughs> it's just so like mind-blowing. It's like, what? It's like, are you saying that you can polish energy are you saying you can polish time are you saying you can polish this invisible interconnectedness between different humans who are playing and making and even this idea i'm not a, a sound scientist but i once read um a piece or an article or a, a study that says essentially is talking about the mechanism of sound and how sound is received in the ears of the receiver the listener and how it's such a complicated system right it's both existing or or there's a layer of it that's very much part of the dna right how that person's anatomy is able to receive sound and then there's also other layers like cultural layers like spiritual layers, spiritual meaning, how we make meaning, right, out of things. It's so interesting to be considering that, what, what does it mean to polish a performance? It's so, I don't know, very much like a fool's errand to me, to a certain I, extent. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of when you're giving a reading, um, you cannot know the full effect and relevance and the larger context by which that reading is going to work through someone's life. Mm -hmm. You cannot know that. And similarly with the performance, you cannot know how that work is going to move through someone's field. And it is a colonial mindset that you have enough individual power, skill, time, energy, whatever you want, that you hold within yourself and your access to be able to wield that and like, and determine that. And, you know, a, a long time ago, I was in a in an offering, in a ritual offering, where I straight up really disliked the practitioner and the oh. whole experience. Mm. But I would mark that as like one of the largest turning points in my personal journey to being, say, a public um, witch, to being like someone who works in ritual publicly. Mm. Um, and I'm grateful. I've had readings where people were not happy with me, were angry at me. I could tell they were so mad. And I knew that I was being told to kind of like hold it down in a certain way. And as, as a person, that was hard. Like as an individual, as Zanetta, the individual, that was really painful. Mm. It was 
pretty intense. But I think Zanetta, who is like connected to the wider scope of, of experience was like, we can do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can do this. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, perfectionism, you know, it's, it's like this idea of what you think is the way that something should be has a lot of, I guess, like aspects to it that don't like see like the full field of effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or willfully ignores the full spectrum of experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think about that from our conservatory kind of background, like, you know, it's an othering of mm -hmm. like, this is what a perfect sound is. Mm -hmm. This is what a good performance is. Yeah. Like that is not a good performance. Othering, othering is really, really, it's, it's a very sad, very sad way of doing things. It's mm -hmm. very sad and, and it harms you just as much as it harms who's being othered yeah. over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I feel like we've kind of touched upon your backstory a little bit, but if it's okay with you, I would love to explore a little bit more in that realm. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to hear how you came to this point like what's your journey been like whatever is alive for you at this moment and maybe start with your sun moon rising because <laughs> that's always fun <laughs> well we know we gotta go there <laughs> <laughs> well you've you've basically told everyone that you're a manifesting generator so we get that <laughs> yep yep my life path number is six <laughs> there you go for all you numerology folks um my my rising is Aries, my sun is Cancer, and my moon is in Virgo. So a nice mix of things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess I, I always love thinking about astrology and I love thinking about like the journey and how when, when I was younger, I definitely didn't know much about astrology and I still don't know much about it. Every time I listen to an astrology podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are true wizards and <laughs> mathematicians. Like how can the mind hold so much? Um, but, but I love reflecting back on my journey and being like, oh yeah, that was, that was like where that aspect of my chart was really singing. And ah, I can see that now, like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, but yeah, I I am a intergenerational um, musician, essentially. Like my earliest experiences with with like making art were probably as young as like, I don't know, like one, one and a half. Like I basically have been holding a pair of drumsticks like ever since I could <laughs> wow. ever since I could sit up in my crib and like hold a pair of drumsticks. There's pictures of me like in a crib holding drumsticks. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah. And so I bring in that intergener 
generational piece because it is so much a part of my work um like in true cancerian fashion like your ancestors are like um greatly a part of your present experience and um my dad you know i really experienced a lot of watching him struggle to mm. make a living being an artist mm. and um to get you know kind of like his due diligence in this work it was very very hard for him but he was also a really devout musician really mm. practiced like a solid like several hours a day every day um, which wow. as an adult now, I'm like, oh my golly, like how did he ever do that and have like a kid? I don't even understand. But um, he was really, really into it. So my journey into making art was through this connection with my dad um, and the time we spent together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I kind of grew up, I got into playing piano as well as drums and I got into singing and I was a very, very um, nerdy kid, <laughs> like super, super nerdy. Um, my dad was very like, he only listened to like, I don't know, he never listened to anything like the Beatles or any hard rock or anything like that. So mm. I actually grew up on like all, a ton of like classical and modern classical music and then like jazz and world world music and mm. i didn't have a tv for like part of my childhood so wow. i was really like not up to date with things and i just had a bunch of books and like some musical instruments um so i spent a lot of time in in like almost like a neptunian experience of like dreams and like imagination and just like experiencing the world as like a really fluid and dynamic place that you can kind of like alter. Mm. You could really alter um, through like your song and through your like dance and like the books that you read and, and all of it just kind of like reshaping everything. Mm -hmm. So um, as a kid, I spent a lot of time in the library and I spent a lot of time in the occult section of the library. <laughs> Um, so those were probably like my earliest like forays into say like energy, magic, tarot, um, like paranormal, like any, like exploring all sorts of topics that were fringe basically. Mm -hmm. And my dad really, um, loved numerology. And so we would always have these really deep conversations about like the meaning of life and like different philosophers and things like that. So um, I was really fortunate to be brought up in a in a home where I just didn't I could just really be very creative, like mm. super super creative. Um, and there weren't a lot of distractions at that time from that creativity. Um, and then I think like as I've kind of journeyed forward from from childhood. I've, you know, went out into the world. I went into different schools and stuff like that. And and my creativity became kind of a source of of kind of like othering mm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I was 
you know, at the time when I was, you know, I was identifying as like a female, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, I'm the only female drummer in this school, Mm -hmm. like, or, you know, I'm the only multiracial kid in this school or Mm -hmm. like things of that nature, or I'm from another town or, you know, my parents don't have as much money. Like, there was just like this feeling of like, I suddenly didn't know like all the cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think this journey, um, this journey, like I went through phases of being like, I do not want to like make anything. I don't want to be an artist. I don't want to play a single instrument, you know, like, whereas when I was younger, I would like paint and draw and sing and dance and make stuff like constantly Mm. embroider like i had like all sorts of things that i was into and um and then i stopped like i just stopped i was like i'm not gonna be that person Mm. just like boom Mm. and in in that kind of time period so that was probably around middle school like middle school high school so you I were really, 13, 14? I was between the ages of like 11 and mm. like basically 16. Mm. I really tried to like distance myself as much as possible from all of that. Um, but you know, like you can't really distance yourself from yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. You can't. And um, it's like such a perfect conversation for like this moon that we're in right now you can't distance yourself from yourself and eventually i just started seeing people doing stuff that i wanted to do on some level and there was envy Mm. like the feeling of envy was a strong one and it was strong enough to 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 kind of push me over the edge and say no I know that person's doing that, but I know I could I could do something like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's something there. And um eventually I kind of devoted myself full time, much to my parents' chagrin. <laughs> I devoted myself full time to like making music, to mm-hmm. playing music. Mm-hmm. And I um that was kind of like <laughs> It's so amazing because now that I talk to you about it, Jonathan, I realized there were such clear signals from spirit on my path. As a kid, I had a vision of myself playing music in New York and like knew that I was going to move to New York like when I was a child. Mm. And then when I was in like, I think it was late high school, I had a like, no, it was, it was like the first year of college or something. I had this voice literal voice that came into my head which i interpreted as an angel's voice i don't know but i heard this voice and and they were like you're gonna go to music school like Mm. just like doom Mm. and the thought hadn't even really occurred to me at that point but i literally quit everything and just did it and my parents were so not okay with that Mm. And I actually ended up having to kind of like support myself financially through that whole like transition and experience. Um, and that's how I got into conservatory. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I went from not playing for several years 
and not having like any orchestra experience, none of that, to basically learning how to hold a pair of sticks again and how to read like quarter notes. And then a year and a half later, I was like in conservatory playing like Mahler. It was like the most, I mean, talk like when you talk about like a quick evolution, like that's a really great example of like the fire just like suddenly sweeps through my life and it's like, it's Mm -hmm. gone. (laughs) Wow, Zanetta, I'm I'm getting chills listening to your story because there are a couple points in your story that are such deep resonance with my story. Mm. The the whole thing about being the library kid is a huge part of my identity as well growing up. And a lot of it had to do with pretty intense othering and bullying and not really knowing even like where to go for lunch. So I yeah. literally would go to the library for lunch because I don't know where else to go. And then this piece around uh, a very concentrated period of time pre-college to transition into getting to music school was also part of my experience, actually. Mm. I also didn't take, I had been taking piano lessons since I was eight. And I didn't take it seriously until I was 15. And by the time I was 17, I was already in the conservatory. Yeah, so a super fast transition. Mm -hmm. And like, kind of like a bolt of lightning that just comes on the scene and is like, okay, here's what's happening, you know, or like a meteorite. It yeah. just comes into your field and you're like, okay, I'm I'm riding I'm riding it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing to you know, that's like such a uh, well known part of my story for myself. Like I I'm like, oh yeah, I did this, I did this, I did this. But it is amazing to just sit back for a little bit and be like, hmm, that was really special. <laughs> That's really mm-hmm. special. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, sometimes sometimes I feel a little bit of like degree guilt. Mm-hmm. A little bit of that feeling of like, what did I, you know, I went down that path. What did that path mean? It was so expensive. It was so this. It was so that. Um, but I have really come to kind of like love the person who like could make that choice and be just so bold, yeah. you know, and yeah. stay and commit and say, mm-hmm. yep, I'm all, I'm all in on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to hear more of the continuation of the story into how you become, you know, the powerful witch tarot reader and sound ritualist that you are today. But I just want to reflect in that moment Something that is really interesting to me, just kind of hearing your story, is this idea of uniqueness and like singularity. And how earlier you were talking about feeling dislike of this practitioner that led you through this ritual and how important that was as a turning point. And then I was also feeling how that's deeply connected to this prophetic vision that you received about going to music school you know, and about being a musician in New York and how I think there's a through line here. There's a connection between doing art, doing magic that has, that lights up a picture around being othered and how Mm. some of that 
is truly painful, but also how some of that was part of a deeper truth that there is something about having to stand up and be the singular voice that speaks out a truth or a wisdom that perhaps isn't necessarily new, that perhaps it was channeled from a more ancient, a truer dimension, but that something in that has this effect of changing the collective, mm. of shifting something in the grid of reality. And yeah, I, I just want to reflect that to you. And I'm curious if anything's coming up and maybe it's connected to then your story around, you know, embracing your magic. Yeah, I feel like you can't really know why you're called into things. You mm -hmm. can't really know what like placement that has in the grand schemata, you know, or like the grand scheme. Like you can't really see where all that intersects and you more have to trust that, which is um, something that I think is harder as I grow older. It's harder mm -hmm. to trust those things as you get more established or as you have been trying to build things or stuff, you know, like making that decision when I was younger was one thing. If I suddenly made it now, it might mean another thing, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot about like, um, <laughs> it's, I think a lot about liberation. I, I think a lot about like authenticity and, you know, am I making the art that I'm supposed to make? Am I making the art that's true to who I am? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but who I am is someone who has a lot of responsibility right now. And that's yeah. not a joke. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's not a problem mm -hmm. to have those responsibilities. Um, and so I make decisions sometimes a little differently. I don't necessarily go and like fly off the handle and say, yep, I'm giving up everything and I'm going to go do this thing. Mm -hmm. um, not that that's bad or not that that's age specific, but more that this is not the place that I am in right now. Mm -hmm. And that is something that's really true to me. Yes. I love the thread you're bringing here, Zanetta, because I think this is a really important distinction that I've been exploring in the past month or so around the difference between authenticity and impulses. Because sometimes we equate in this culture the authentic person as the person who always follows those impulses. But I think there is something about impulses that are inherently in a conflict with this idea of responsibility. And I don't mean it in like a dutiful responsibility. I really mean it as the range of responses that we are able to pick at any given moment, right? Mm. Which is inherently so connected and tied to the idea of wisdom. Because I think wisdom is about not just being able to see the different options, but being able to choose out of a sense of foresight yes. and also connection to the past, right? And, and knowing 
how a particular choice that we make or a particular action that we take have a certain consequence. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. I am so right here with you. Um, there were a few things that kind of came up, but one was the kind of archetype or trope of like the manic pixie dream girl Mm. that like you see in like garden state or movies like that where you know there's some guy who's going through it's usually some cis you know um like white hetero dude who's going through some kind of existential crisis and then some you know nymph like woman like flits into their life and they're like oh my god like this is like freedom and liberation and like na 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 like you know and there's this almost fetishization of liberation and freedom or like the idea of like our authenticity and like being our true selves and stuff like that that mm-hmm. um paints a picture that is so limiting and so exclusive. Like you're only really free if you're like willing to just totally, you know, drop everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and to follow whatever comes through you. But we, I think as, as like a, a society have to be pretty acknowledging of the fact that we're picking up, so much at any given moment like so much like i challenge anyone to to like parse it all out because it's actually like a ton of stuff is just in our field constantly Mm -hmm. if you live anywhere where like you know, there are more people than there are like critters and stuff like that. <laughs> if you're living in an area where you're in a high density population center, um, you're just really picking up a lot. Mm-hmm. Just the chances of you picking up a lot. I'm not saying that those impulses aren't relative or related to you or like that that's not a process that you're engaging in, but to know like what is truly liberating to you mm. and what is like an authentic avenue to explore, mm-hmm. it is a little complicated. It's okay. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. And I think that there's like um, a, a very big myth about that um, being so instantly accessible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm just going to, suddenly know that this is like this thing and sometimes that may be the case sometimes but you know is it really liberatory if you feel like you can't you can't get like your basic needs Mm. met is it really Mm -hmm. like is it really like in the service of like your magic or like what you can bring to the collective if you're constantly like feeling like you're playing catch up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it i think like there's there's a reason why we're in these bodies sometimes and Mm -hmm. then maybe this is like really related to my recent experiences with health and recovering from covid like there is a reason 
why we have these bodies. They're not at odds with our spirituality and they're mm. not at odds with our sacred knowing. Yeah. You know, they teach us a lot about how to fucking actually care. <laughs> Sorry, pardon me for <laughs> for cursing. Oh, cursing is very highly encouraged in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but they teach us how to care. Yeah. This one's so massive right now for me, Zanetta, because I've been contemplating a lot about the Scorpio Taurus axis, which is not such a huge. I mean, yes, actually, aspects of it are pretty massive in my own chart, but I like to work with astrology, not just in terms of like my own chart, but just how astrology, I think, is a wisdom tradition that has a lot to teach us upon contemplation. Like we don't always need our chart in order to contemplate and receive the wisdom of astrology. And with regards to Taurus and Scorpio, you know, I recently started working with a coach who is really so beautifully attuned to how paying attention to the daily or seemingly mundane things can really have a massive transformational effect on your spiritual lens. This Mm. person is so good at, you know, asking me questions about, for example, like how am I doing with my personal finances, you know, and how that is is an act of spiritual discipline and spiritual flourishing as well how that's actually caring for our body caring for our earthly existence is not separate from spirit and that's connected to what i've been thinking about recently with regards to how we how we live in an upgrade obsessed society right we think that when it comes to our career, when it comes to our relationships, that it's an ascent, that it's an upgrade, that it's about being high vibe. And I think there's absolutely something exhilarating about that. I recognize that with regards to expanding our practice, with regards to deepening relationships, you know, we never think about what it means to descend into our practices, right? Descend into our artistic our mystical practices, how the more people we serve, the deeper we go into the weeds of things. And that it actually becomes much more complicated. And for a while, with, you know, I've been thinking about how descent is kind of, you know, this is why, right, in, in kind of the Christian mythology, there's this idea of like the, the seven layers of hell, you know, mm-hmm. and, each descent, I think about this in terms of the um, Babylonian myth of Inanna, of Inanna going down into the mm-hmm. underworld, letting go of her accessories, and how each level of descent for us requires some sort of unraveling and some sort of death, right? Yeah. And th- the thing that people don't talk about is when you expand your practice, you're not only expanding upwards, but you're also expanding downwards. And in fact, when we think about a tree, for example, in order for a tree to rise, the roots need to get deeper. And as the roots get deeper, it's not pretty, 
right? Mm. It's not, and the same thing with relationships. The more you get to know someone, as you descend together further down into the stuff that you don't always let other people see, it's messy. It's yeah. messy before it gets to another place of stasis or place of equilibrium. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love how you brought that imagery in and like the the traveling aspects of this, like the movement. The movement is so, so crucial to, I think, exploring this because um, I think that there's just on some level like a an almost instant or like instantaneous kind of of expectation around change, around transformational shift, around upgrading, around around like, so I'm more real than I ever was before. So now I'm doing this, da 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 and and just suddenly we are different, you know? Mm. And and I love like a couple parts of this, like the day by day simple act of caring for oneself, the mundane, um, you know, like there's this great card from the Oblique Strategies deck by Brian Eno, uh, Brian mm-hmm. Eno, the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cards says, repetition is a form of change. It's one of my favorites in the entire deck. And I always come back to this because it's kind of what you're saying. Like, the, the tending of oneself and the taking care of oneself and checking in with your mm. earthly body, mm. earthly experience, that is change. If you're really paying attention, it is change. Like my favorite form of meditation, anapana, which is like a, a practice, a Buddhist practice of meditation, is to just simply notice the changes in your sensation from your breath. Mm-hmm. And noticing that from moment to moment and being with that truth, being so present in that truth that you start to repattern your understanding of your reality mm-hmm. from that place of like, there, the present is what is. That's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like everything else, it's kind of an illusion in a sense. Like, you're you're really just here in this moment so like that descent and that process of change um that also really speaks to me very deeply um i've been going through kind of a lot in terms of my own creative practice and my own health and going through kind of my own unraveling slowly but surely and every step of that you know, I'm not going to silver line it at all. It's very hard. But every process of, of like, kind of, say, losing my voice or going through different things or, like, stuff like that, um, every aspect of that is, I don't know, is deeply, and informing isn't even a good word for it, but it's deeply shifting the way that I create and what matters as I'm creating. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that as a problem. Mm -hmm. It's not comfortable, but it's also honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Which brings me back again to sound and how in order for us to experience sound, there's a certain level of presence that's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that I've been really, I've been really interested in for a while. Um, you know, getting into sound was an experience of presence because when I first started field recording, it was about managing experiences of PTSD, mm. which is like where you don't, you're not in the present, right? Like you're experiencing something, yes, in your present moment, but what you're experiencing isn't necessarily true to what's actually happening to your body in that moment. And field recording, the act of listening and recording, you know, sounds in the present moment became kind of an avenue to being able to regulate and to come back into the same plane with like my 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 mind and my body mm-hmm. simultaneously mm-hmm. yeah yeah i am reminded of this post that you shared at some point or maybe it was a story you wrote sound for me is the greatest anchor of memory a portal of sorts it's the articulation of time space and movement the expression of life. And in this post, you mentioned having a recording of um, your mom's laughter, I believe. And it was so poignant. Like I remember seeing those stories and just, yeah, like feeling really affirmed because I think it's challenging, Zanetta. I mean... From my own personal experience, being someone who is also deeply connected to sound, it's really easy for me to see how the rest of the world doesn't function in that way. You know, and you also mentioned, I think, in that same post that you're also someone who walks through the world ears first. And that really speaks to me. Um, and how much of that has been lost in a little, in, in, especially the last couple of years where spaces where we can enjoy intentional creation of sound, intentional creation of music together has been taken away from us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have been thinking a lot about, um, you know, as you're talking about this, I've been thinking a lot about, how we understand listening in our Mm. society. Mm. It feels like we've got one hand behind the back tied when we're focused on segmenting the senses. Mm -hmm. That to listen is to use your ears, to feel is to sense a sensation, to taste is to detect the flavor of something or to see something is to open your eyes and witness it. Mm. Yet I would, I do not have that experience of listening anymore. And I don't know if it's just like I'm, I'm changing or something, but um, I know that on one layer I am 
registering sounds and I'm hearing them. But I think the way that I'm listening is a multi-sensory and multi-dimension experience. Mm-hmm. Like I am usually getting information through sound that is actually highly like impressionistic and visual. Like a lot of times when I am listening to say the wind through the hemlocks or something like that on a February day, what I'm experiencing is quite a bit of layers of energetic fields. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think many of us who are probably (laughs) tuning into this podcast and who are in this community and everything, we're sensing the field of things. And I just, I don't think like, and I've actually spent quite a bit of time kind of like researching like how people track animals and things like that and how they're like picking up um, the trail of like say animals, um, you know, in different like indigenous communities and hunting practices and stuff like that. And um, a big part of that for folks is listening, but it's not segmented listening, right? It's, it's like listening that is, that is an avenue to all the senses and Mm. the entirety of one's experience of energy and sensation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like when, when you listen to something and it brings back a memory, I dare you to just only hear it. You, you feel it, you smell it, you sense it. There's so many layers to it. It brings a quality up in you that you can't even explain. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm of a thought and maybe I'm alone in this. I don't know, (laughs) but I'm of a thought that like, you do not have to relegate like your modalities, your disciplines of art creation to a singular idea of what a sense or an experience can be based off of a bunch of people who needed to categorize that to essentially other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just Mm -hmm. don't, I don't feel that that's, that's how I experience sonic energy and yeah it's like trying to pinpoint like aspects of your dreams in a sense or something yeah tell like why would we (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is opening up this whole portal for me zanetta because last night i went to a concert um it's it's Licky Lee's concert, and I, I have loved Licky's music for a number of years. But this concert was something else entirely. I knew with her latest album uh, that it was going to be this multi-sensory, multi-dimensional experience. But I didn't catch what that meant exactly because I was just, you know, consuming it through Spotify and, like, looking at music videos through YouTube. But in this concert, it was like a whole choreographed experience. And the lighting was part of the music. The dance was part of the music. The props were part of the music. The costumes were part of the music. And it was completely mind-blowing because 
there is a 3D aspect to the music that I think a lot of us have lost in the concert culture mm. that we have created in modernity. And this is bringing me to Sacred Seasons, which is um, this just really incredible. I, I don't even know how to describe Sacred Seasons, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't <laughs> <And> either. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it kind of does Sacred Seasons a little bit of a disservice to try to pin it down. But, but my... If I have to kind of allow words to weave around it and to kind of create this vine of words around it, it felt to me like a sound ritual that is part, you know, sonic memoir of yours, part um, communal creation of magic, and part a refuge it just mm. felt like a refuge i remember the first one i don't remember time is not linear in my head but i think the first one was somewhere in the middle of 2020 right yeah it was the one it was letha it was the summer solstice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there were three that year that happened it was the summer solstice maybin for the fall equinox and then Yule for winter solstice. Right, right. Yeah, that project, <laughs> it's hard to describe what that project was for me and like how it came to be and, and things like that. It challenged me in a lot of ways to be so trusting in my skills mm. And in my craft as as a as a record as like someone who field records, so a field recordist, and also as like a, a sound artist, and to just be able to trust that whatever skills I had would be able to weave this project together, mm. because the vision for the project was not solely my own; it was kind of transmitted to me, beamed to me, I guess, from um, a tree spirit. And that tree shared with me this project and I did my very best to try to approximate it mm -hmm. as much as possible. Um, and also I had never done anything like that online. So it was like on another layer of complexity that I was so unfamiliar with. But... The project, you know, I recorded some of the elements and in recording was was a layer of ritual. Mm. It was a layer of prayer involved before recording anything, um, which is still a part of my process. Um, it's even deeper a part of my process now that even when I travel to somewhere, I'm making offerings and saying prayers to the to the land space and to the different beings that I'm connecting with and um my process in making recordings now is very very much a relationship mm. it's I am building a relationship with these beings I do not go to a place and just simply record um because there are already recordings that exist like that there are already so many um 
there's plenty of that. I could go and probably drop a pin on, you know, most places on Google Earth, and there's probably a field recording for that place. Totally. <laughs> but um, I always just knew that, like, that what I'm trying to get to is is a, a remembering and a mm-hmm. connection to spirit and into the land. And so um, that process is just like, every step of the way is done together. And I, I think that maybe that's why it's so hard to talk about because in some ways, everything, I never even really shared like the layers of, of what happened to be able to create that project. Mm. Um, you know, people just arrived and experienced the sound ritual on that night. But, um, it was like, um, months of channeled transmissions and like and kind of going back and forth is this how it should sound Mm -hmm. is this like and we worked so closely together in that process and very vocally you know like some people they're doing that internally or they're just intuitively weaving their way through it but that actual project was so like every time i opened up my computer to work on it in ableton (laughs) every time there was a prayer that was said and like it was like opening up a a tarot reading or something wow so i experimented with like how do you make a piece of art with your guides and with your spirits and these beings who um who are speaking to you in many different ways (laughs) talk Mm -hmm. about like what is like you know if I just relegated it to say like, okay, I, you know, here's a symbol that I saw on the street that like means this to me. And now it's, no, it was like, it was like a whole language of, of like communication was being unearthed Mm -hmm. between me and these beings. And so sacred seasons was this beautiful amalgam of recordings made in ritual and then channeled, sound like compositions um some of which are very musical and very melodic and things like that and some of which are extremely ambulant ambient and um open and uh it's i feel very closely like as i was you know making those adjustments we were making them together feeling who would be there like And that's the thing that's so interesting about creating with these beings is like, they've just got such different information from you. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you're like, I don't know, I think this person might show up or I think this other person might show up. But then it's like, oh no, this is like what we're, what we're like, the space that we're building together. Mm -hmm. And I, I love what you said, a refuge. Yeah, that's, that is an, large part how i how i feel like the the sound energy and the way that i work with sound and how i work with my collaborators like how it how it's realized it's like this we're creating something that we wish was in existence Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i i don't know if i did a very good job explaining all that (laughs) i feel i mean first of all that was so rich and and i think you're absolutely right there's something in the process of that that feels so 
like beyond what words can even describe, you know? Um, and I'm curious to hear about how that process has or has not evolved since um, Sacred Seasons ended or the last performance, I suppose, or ritual of Sacred Seasons. Yeah, yeah. It's evolved a lot. You know, over the summer, I traveled to, I think it was maybe, was it 17 states? I can't remember. It was a lot. I put wow. like ten over 10,000 miles on my car. And I drove from New York basically to the West Coast. And I was very sick during that time, actually, mm. but was like committed to going on this trip. And the process of being ill and then also kind of, you depend on these beings in a way that maybe we're just not so consciously aware of all the time. Like being sick kind of revealed to me how much, and because this project was elemental, so mm. this is where I think it's really interesting. My next project is basically about recording and um, diving deep with our ancient memory of the elements mm. in our bodies. Mm. And it's called Where Land Meets Sky. Mm. And as I was so fragile in my physical health, I depended so greatly on like, the relationship that I had to these elemental spirits and to them taking care of me while I was like out there, mm -hmm. you know, I was recording and camping in areas where it was like, there could have been a fire. Like there was a fire, like really not that far from where I was camping or like torrential rain or like, you know, like just you depend on these things like the wind, if the wind's too strong or something like that. And you begin to remember how much you really depend on the elements. Mm -hmm. And that's like the physical, that's where the physical is so spiritual. And I think my, my process has been evolving from that place because I think I always knew that I wanted to record and collaborate but when you depend on something so fully the nature of that relationship is not just like something you do but it's something you like it's it's the essence of being alive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know so i'm making things i think now like my life depends on it and that's so different that's just a totally different realm. And I love who I was when I created Sacred Seasons and I love what I did then. Mm. But now, like, I can't go anywhere, like, at any time. And, like, it truly is like a collaboration between w the land, the elements, the beings that call that space home, and me. And, like, we'll see what we can do. Mm. And sometimes that's just me being in my house and recording. Like I I recently, I don't know if you remember this because we're both in Brooklyn, mm. but there was this ginormous thunderstorm. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And I recorded that whole thing. And it was like 
the best recording of Thunder I've ever made in my entire life. And I've recorded Thunder a lot. You know, how do you, how do you, listening requires that you've had an experience that lets you know that this is an important moment. You need to pay a fucking attention. Like I've lived something now that has taught me what it means to like be present, like why you need to be present. You know, I think a lot of us are lost in the listening because we just have not like familiarized ourselves with what is actually worth the time and the energy to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. that ability. Everyone, you know, can listen on some level, even if you're hearing impaired, you're, you can connect and receive mm -hmm. on some level, but how do you know when something is important and vital to your being and nourishing? You have to have some transformative experience that, signals to you mm -hmm. to pay attention absolutely that is so rich and i really in that moment of you sharing that sense into the wisdom of your aries rising there because i think in popular astrology we reduce aries to you know how aries has a temper or how Aries is not patient. But to me, Aries has so much to do with the idea of the vital life force and what mm. it means to have right relationship with it. What does it mean to come into a space of knowing when your life force is wanting to move through you and to what end, and also to have discernment that sometimes it is about acting on that life force channeling that life force even before you are able to fully intellectualize where it wants to go and what it wants to create wow that's so epic <laughs> that's such a cool way of putting it because i think you're right like like i always think that listening is to just be alive you know like you're living if you're listening you're aware, you're like conscious, you're receptive, and you're in connection. Mm -hmm. And so like that vitality aspect of it and like just noticing and being present with like what energy, what vital energy is present mm -hmm. and running through you, running through another. Yeah, that's a really amazing way of putting it. And also kind of like, that when you are paying attention, there are moments to act. Mm -hmm. There are moments to engage. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's and and they're really from the from the information that's arising as you're in conscious connection with this web of life. Yeah. 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 I wrote down in my in my notes, engagement comes through listening. Mm, that's so so beautiful to think about and to just be in i always just wish that like <laughs> i always wish that like everyone felt that that they could like you know because one of the things that comes around sound i think is there's a layer of ooh, 
permission mm. or like especially sounding out. So this is like the other half of this, right? Like there's a time when we sound out too. Mm-hmm. There's a time where we like send that energy and channel that energy forth. Mm. And so there's this aspect of like, listening that definitely has to do with singing Mm -hmm. it definitely has to do with sounding out Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of tension and fear for many folks around the voice around sounding and being heard and also taking up that kind of space that impacts people so deeply yeah and hearing oneself too i think the root is the fear of hearing what comes out of your mouth because once you get comfortable doing that i have found 80 percent of the work is done Mm, mm, yeah yeah like what will come out of you you don't even know Mm -hmm. and how intimidating or how scary that possibility may be yeah yeah i think truly like being able to listen is part of that other side of that coin of also sounding out. Mm -hmm. Because if you are kind of present with things, there is clear moments, there are clear moments where you need to sound out. (laughs) You need to sound out either for yourself, for on behalf of someone else, or because you're contributing to a collective, like whatever that is. There are times where like you can't just harness that vital energy within yourself and keep it inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to create a workshop about that. <laughs> I think so. Because <laughs> I think this is what you're saying here is so powerful and so important. And my journey with my own voice too has been so it's been such a long journey and i haven't even fully codified like what i learned in that journey but there was so much around reclaiming this process of listening to myself like being able to stand my own voice and being able to stand a way that i have my own unique translator of information because there is an internal translator in there that organizes and shapes information that is so unique. And probably in my case, it has a lot to do with my accent as well, or like with the fact that English is not my first language. So it's always translated through like this foreign alien. Like I literally was a resident alien in America. Wow. <laughs> like that is literally my legal status, you know, for like the longest time. And and what does it mean to be translating a culture through a, an, uh, this alien filter, you know? And for a long time, yeah. I didn't share anything because I was so scared of being seen as that alien. And the liberation came when I decided to be that alien. Mm, 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 mm. And then recognizing that everyone around me, Zaneda, is also an alien. It's like I've never heard two people translating it the same way. So where is this idea of the majority even come from? You know, you had been kind of teasing it out throughout this conversation, this idea of the othering that we do, right? It's so fascinating because it's a construct. Because none of us are ever in the same, like none of us are ever singing the same songs. 
our voice itself literally is unique to us in this universe. Like nobody else has my voice. Nobody else has your voice. Yes, exactly. There's so many layers of this that are like coming up for me. And I, I feel like in particular, like the idea of who gets to sound out and who doesn't, we have to kind of understand that one, our perception and our memory and our cultural inheritance or our ancestral inheritance, all of that is woven into how we hear everything. Mm -hmm. And you're placing a filter on your own voice as well. Yeah. That is from your perspective, understandably, we can't change like that. I'm going to hear myself the way I'm going to hear myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but maybe the knowledge that like as unique as your voices is, is also as unique as people here. Mm. Like your beautiful complex amalgam of frequencies and timbres and textures that run through you and the way that you pace things and tone things and all of that is just as amazingly prismatic as what it took for you to even be able to perceive any sound that you experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to leave like this portion of the conversation with a very small anecdote. A long time ago, I went to a class. I went to a workshop on gamelan music. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So you have much more probably experience with gamelan than I do. But in the class, um, they were showing us some different aspects of the instruments and talking about, you know, like where you might hear this particular song or this arrangement or things like that. And someone just remarked in the class that the, oh, you know, like the song sounds so sad and like yada, yada, yada. And the teacher was like, that's so interesting because this is actually not a sad song for the people who this tradition and this culture, like where it originates from. Yeah. Turns out that is your lens. That's your filter, your sonic perception of your culture mm -hmm. on this placed on this music. Mm-hmm on this art form you're mm -hmm. interpreting this as sad because maybe you hear it in minor mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. but this song is actually a very celebratory and very happy w ceremonial work that yeah. like people like to play mm -hmm. and so it kind of called like they were like i don't believe that there is a universal language known as music like that music is not a universal language in the sense that people distill it to be mm -hmm. and i think similarly with sound energy this is this is something i think about a lot like the pitch you know the frequency of like middle c does not necessarily indicate the root chakra for me mm -hmm. it does not indicate necessarily like 
that particular energy and these frequencies are like what get activated in the body. Mm-hmm. I think we we are much more complex instruments and much more, we have a lot more tuning that's happening within us yeah. as we experience sound. So it's just something to think about how the hangups that we might have around vocalizing and using our voices, it's much more open and interpretive and could land so differently for each person who experiences your emanations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that, Zanetta. Thank you. <laughs> that was That felt so delicious to me. And yeah, I think it speaks to how sound is so complex. And, you know, th- there is a desire, I think, within the Western way of being, Western philosophy, to kind of universalize everything. That that is kind of the be-all, end-all of things. And I think I even, my experience with particular notes or even pieces of music and the energy centers within my body is that it's rotating. Like there are days when I tune into maybe my sacral chakra or my root chakra and I hear like a particular note and then another day where it shifts or sometimes it shifts within the day. And I think it's important to honor the mutability because also our cells regenerate all the time. We are not this static being, right? So, yeah. Yeah, this feels so, so important feels so important as as we are trying to reclaim our voices as we experience like sonic healing as Mm. we are engaging consciously with energy like it is important for each one of us to be our own kind of explorers and kind of uh, begin to make an archive of what these things mean. It's mm-hmm. similarly with tarot. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go and show me this book where someone wrote that this is what these archetypes mean, but you do not know what they mean unless you have lived it and have been in relationship with it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the concept is something you might be familiar with, but to know something is an entirely different thing that needs to be a lived experience. Yes. I I really want to talk to you about tarot, maybe sort of at the end here, because I have really been the recipient of your tarot genius. And I've just (laughs) really like, it's, I I can't, again, it's one of those experiences too, Zanetta, that I think is so hard to even put into words because your tarot readings have meant so much to me. Like they've really carried me through various seasons of my life and they've just been so incredibly supportive and i i would love to kind of you know open a little portal here maybe we don't go fall you know all the way into that uh, rabbit hole necessarily but i want to open this portal around the idea of your specific relationship with tarot and how it's connected to listening how it's so deeply interwoven with your listening and your sound practice. Because I think when I when I see you, when I witness your tarot reading and then come back to it, so much of it has to do with the capacity to open up 
to listening to information and allowing tarot to be the portal to allowing that information to be open to us. And in that sense, I think listening through tarot is something that you have indirectly taught me how to do in my own tarot practice. And I, I want to on, honor that. And I also want to hear a bit more, anything you want to share around that. Well, first, thank you so much for like being with me on that evolving practice and mm -hmm. like trusting me to support and open the cards for you and just be a part of your process. Because I do think like on a, on a really like just, just the most foundational level, like the process of like reader and, and client coming together is like, we are trusting each other to do this, to like be a part of this process and like, you know, be open. And that's not something that's easy all the time. And I, I think that's something worth acknowledging. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, when you're playing music with someone and you're improvising, it's so effortless sometimes to improvise with someone that you just have a natural, I think like affability or affinity with, and, and you're just, you can hear things and possibilities and trust that it's okay to try them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so when you're talking about sound and, and like tarot, the first thing that really comes up for me is improvisation, mm. the willingness to kind of risk it all um, in a sense, like, you know, we cannot control what comes through the cards. We can't control what comes through our instrument sometimes, especially if you're tuned in to the inner ear and to what like spirit or what, you know, collaborators and what guides are coming through you know you set open the container to do a tarot reading you make your intentions you call upon your ancestors you call upon say the highest and best whatever that is for you mm. but from there who knows mm -hmm. from there who knows and in that essence it is so improvisatory and so I feel like a big part of my tarot reading practice is the fact that I'm an improviser and that like most of my art is like, has a strong thread of improvisation through it. Like yeah. every meditation, every ritual, every, everything for me is like improvised um, and rarely like fully predetermined. So that's one layer to the reading practice for me. The other layer is like you have to engage with that regularly enough to and in a moment where you depend on it. So mm -hmm. this is like like going back to like what it means to listen to the elements or record the elements, what it means to work with the archetypes of the tarot. You have to be in a moment of need. Mm -hmm. You have to be in a moment of need. And in the essence of that, you fundamentally acknowledge what your relationship is, the truth of your relationship. The truth is, is I desperately depend upon the fucking empress. Mm -hmm. I need them as much as I need temperance, as much as I need the three of wands. I need them in my, in my 
my crew. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do this alone. And so on some level, the dependence and the acknowledging of like, I don't exist without these energies starts to create a quality of listening and a quality of tuning in where you stop what you're doing and you pay attention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you stop what you're doing and you pay attention and not through the lens of like, you know, Instagram, you know, Instagram watered down kind of distilled versions of these archetypes, but like, what the hell are they really trying to tell you? Mm-hmm. And that's like where you and I, I think have explored a lot. Like my reading style has evolved. I trust, I trust what I hear in a really different way than when I first started. Mm-hmm. I used to spend a lot more time kind of um, in the world of like, okay, I've studied all these things. This is what I know about tarot. Mm. But, you know, now I have a little tarot journal. Sometimes I write down, if I've had a particularly poignant experience, I'll write down in that tarot journal, the tower means someone's going to go and like break something somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're going to see something broken somewhere. You don't know where and you don't know why, but it will break. And if you get the tower in reverse, it's going to break at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> like and that's that's like Zanetta's version of that, right? Like I don't I can't tell you what your life is and how you're going to have these relationships and journeys with these archetypes. Mm-hmm. But when you get a reading with me, this is like kind of what I'm 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 working with. Mm-hmm. And so I've come to be kind of an arch- archivist of like my experiences living with the tarot and I've come to really be very comfortable like with whatever comes through and i try very hard when i you know have like okay you can book a reading with me (laughs) i try to be very clear like i may not answer your questions Mm. i may answer them in a way that you may not like my language may not even feel like familiar or might be you know windy and strange um because i know now that the language comes out in many different ways so tarot has become and this is where i think i'm so i'm so fortunate that you've asked me this question at this time because i think it helps me clarify some things that i've noticed very recently Mm. the energies that are present in a reading are as old as existence itself but what we do when we get these cards is they give us finally words and finally like things to kind of parse out and make um, to make more understanding and to kind of like work with them mm. in a way that is not so formless and huge or not so like beyond scope, mm. but allows us to kind of like have this moment where we can constructively work with these energies and translate their their connection to this moment in time yes yes that piece around translating zanetta is so huge i feel because this is something that has come up in 
my the container I'm currently facilitating for my students around how primarily what, what does it mean to orient towards the act of translating when you're studying something when you're studying a modality right because first of all you can never find air quotes the truth right it doesn't you know astrology or tarot was not something that was brought from from source or from god necessarily but it is really a system that is arising out of the human need to connect yeah. with with source right and so it has a different orientation than what we're used to especially as filtered through organized religion and it's really important to consider how much integration is necessary until you're able to even begin to translate well because you being a good student that part of you that has been trained by the colonial world with a very strict definition of what a good student means is actually the the part that's going to to become a blockage and a blockage that is part of your beautiful journey but a blockage nonetheless to you actually translating that in the most direct way possible yeah absolutely i resonate with that so deeply at least in my own journey with the tarot like when I was able to finally kind of say, you know, I've gotten a lot of readings. I've read a lot of books. I've taken classes. I've been in courses, things like that. Um, but, you know, that's not the way I do it. <laughs> I just, like, I had to come to terms with, with a really, maybe every reader goes through this. I don't know. But um, I was like, the way that I read is, I don't know. I just, it's like the way that I make art, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it, there's no difference. Yeah. I totally make art the exact same way I tarot read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the same, same thing. You know, I do a lot of pre-process that gets me in a, a particular connectivity and state of mm -hmm. receptivity. Mm -hmm. But once I'm there, it's all hands are off. Mm -hmm. And I just let kind of like it all kind of come through and I just let it ride. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So as we wind to a close here, Zanetta, I'm curious... Um, if you could share the ways that people can work with you, that people can find your work, where is the best place? What are some of your offerings at the moment? Yeah, well, this is a really beautiful moment. I have some readings open. I have some tarot readings that are available, creativity tarot readings specifically. They're not always available. Um, but at this time, this month, they are. I don't know when this episode will come out. <laughs> and I love, I, I love and trust that process of yours, Jonathan. Um, but yeah, I have a website. It's www.soundartmagic.com. And on that website, I have my tarot readings available. I'm also going to be doing some live ritual events, like ritual performances as part of my most recent grant project. 
that are going to be happening in December. So you can join my newsletter on my website as well. And, um, I think next year I will be having some sound like field recording workshops that are happening in person in New York, mm. um, where I'm going to be taking people with me into the Catskills mm. and we're going to be doing some like recording ritual work together. So if you want to stay up to date, kind of on all of that information and just, you know, the next classes and offerings that is available also on my website. And I have a podcast. I should mention that. I'm like not good at, I'm not good at remembering to mention the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I have um, a podcast that's now on its second year as of October 12th. So very soon. And it's called Art Witch. Um, And you can listen to Art Witch on iTunes, Spotify, all those places. Um, And there's a lovely little Patreon there and all that, and a lot of meditations that I've channeled for that space. So yeah, just a lot of things. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am so excited. It's, you know, your manifesting generator gift. I feel like it's always channeled through so many different <laughs> ways. And Art Witch is honestly such a gift. Um, even the moments when you take it slow and it's just, you know, one tarot reading, it's so supportive and i can really feel it in the reverb i can feel the magic of it reverberating like into so many members of my community actually i keep hearing from people that they just love your your monthly readings so much and i i would hear especially folks that know that we're connected would reach out to me and be like, have you listened to Zanetta's latest um, tarot reading? And I'm like, wow, (laughs) it's incredible. You don't see that kind of um, impact always with a podcast because there's something about, I mean, there are literally a gazillion podcasts out there, but I think yours really stand out because your voice is such a gift. Um, And... And I think people can really feel you from from your voice and from the care that you put into the podcast. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, friend, so much for supporting, for listening, and for just, I don't know, encouraging me. (laughs) Of course. I mean, you're, you're such a bright, shining star in my life. So my final question for all of my guests is, um, I'm curious to hear what comes up for you when you hear the word healing the spirit, whether any anecdotes come up or any opportunities or challenges or even pushback that you feel. Anything is welcome. I see a wave. Mm. I see a wave. I feel this like crest to like, valley kind of sensation when you're saying heal the spirit like the fullness of healing being something that is love in its entirety but is also like the lows and the highs and every granular experience in between Mm. 
and holding that all all in one one beautiful unfolding of a wave wow thank you sonetta that was a gift thank you so so much for for putting that forth and giving me such a beautiful free space to feel that energy mm. Thank you. I'm just so grateful for your gifts and I I'm excited to share this with everyone. So, thank you. That's it for my conversation with Sonetta. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you found something inspiring, something uh, that will really help you ground and root as you end this year and start the new year. If you're listening to this while it's um, while it's hot off the press, um, I also would highly recommend that you uh, check out Zanetta's work. Um, it's truly, truly incredible. Zanetta's readings, I'm not sure if they're open at this very moment, but what you can do is go to soundartmagic.com and then check out their reading section. And usually Zanetta has a button where you can put in your email address to be notified when Zanetta um, opened their books again. And I highly recommend tarot readings with Zanetta, um, whether or not you identify as a creative, we are all creatives. And so um, their readings have been so personally meaningful and helpful to me in my own artistic journey, in my own journey as um, a being who is creative and has um, creative agency and power, which is basically all of us. Um, so yeah definitely recommend you check them out and yeah if you have been enjoying this podcast if you have been enjoying this episode i would highly recommend that you uh, leave a review reviews are super super helpful in helping me get this work out there in helping more people find this work so even if you are feeling moved to share two or three sentences that is absolutely enough um and if you want to do more, that's totally fine too. You totally can do that. And I would love to receive that. Um, sharing this podcast with members of your community or anyone you think will enjoy or benefit from this will also be super appreciated. And yeah, until next time, I hope you take good care of yourself. And I'm sending you so much love. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs>